0: What is apartheid studies? Apartheid studies is an approach to understanding the persistence of oppression in society. It's a paradigm, a theoretical approach, that utilizes the neglected notion of apartheid to understand exactly why does oppression persist instead of ending. In fact, not why does, but how does. So it's a paradigm that tries to understand how the persistence of oppression, how oppression persists. How does injustice persist and not end? How does poverty persist and not end? How does inequality persist and not end? Because if you look at our social lives historically, socioeconomic lives, our cultural and political lives, We have lived under oppression for far longer than we have lived under, what you could say, freedom or liberation. And I think that the question of the persistence of oppression is one of the most important questions in the 21st century. Probably the most important question of the 21st century. How does harm persist instead of ending? Kudza The Library of Things We Forgot to Remember is an important intervention on the question of the continuities that are within the discontinuities, the persistences that are within endings. Because we live our lives in a kind of Aristotelian plot where there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. There's a beginning of order, then we have disorder, or order disrupted, and then we have order again, or order restored. But, in fact, the library takes apart that linear plot, that Aristotelian plot that moves from order, disorder, back to order again, because the discontinuities in the continuities and the continuities in the discontinuities show that we have to be aware of the many lives of Oppression, the many lives of injustice, the many lives of poverty. Even when we think things have ended, they have other ways of persisting. And an awareness of how that happens, an awareness of that quantum superposition, where oppression piggybacks on the very things we love, on our desires, on our aspirations. These are the, the wormholes, these are the loopholes that allow persistence, oppression to persist. Oppression persists by piggybacking on the things we love, on the things we desire. It is parasitic because it doesn't bring anything. All the things it needs, all the things it wants, it finds them already there. And because it uses what already exists, it means that oppression persists because it piggybacks on our aspirations, on our desires, on our loves. It knows we want to send our children to school. This is why we work dead-end jobs. You know, we think... We we're supposed to be out of that job 10 years ago but today we're still in it this is why people do dangerous jobs this is why people would go into dangerous mines knowing that people have died in those same mines but they'll still queue up they'll still queue to apply for that job people work in dangerous environments not because they like danger not because they like harm not because they want to be harmed but simply because that is how operation functions it piggybacks on the things we love you want to feed your family, you get harmed for it. You want to buy something for a loved one. I mean, my grandfather walked all the way, thousands of kilometers on foot to come to South Africa to work in the mines in Johannesburg. Under the so-called Wenela at the time at the Witwatersrand Native Labor Association which recruited him, they walked thousands to come and work in the dangerous mines of Johannesburg. What for? Because he wanted to raise money for Lobola to marry his loved one, my grandmother. So, Oppression piggybacks on your love for your loved ones. It piggybacks on things that are part of your aspirations. And when you look at your rice library, it is about the things we love. It is about the desires that we have, the aspirations that we have as a people. Aspirations for freedom, for love, to be loved, for rest, for transformation, for movement. From black power in America, to township music, to music in Zimbabwe, to reggae music, to the speeches of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, to these speeches of African pioneers of Africa's political liberation. All of these elements speak to our desires, our aspirations for the future, what we want, what does the human want, what does the African want, what do Africans want this is where oppression piggybacks as well. This is how oppression persists. The things we forgot to remember are those things that are part of our household expenses, those things that are part of our everyday lives, through which and on which oppression piggybacks. And so if we had an understanding of how things continue within discontinuities, and if we had an understanding of how things continue through endings, that you never really have a post-apartheid situation, that you never really have an independent Africa. If all the conditions that enable colonialism have not been removed and dismantled, you can never actually have an aftermath of colonialism. You can never actually have an aftermath of slavery if all the initial conditions of slavery have not been removed and extirpated. You can never have a post-apartheid situation or condition until all the initial conditions that give birth to apartheid have been removed. Oppression gets scale. Oppression needs scale. And the only way for oppression to scale is to piggyback on the things that have scale. Oppression can't survive if it can't scale. And the only way it it can scale is to piggyback on our household needs, on our household expenses, on the things we do every day in every house across the country. Everywhere. Every evening, everyone eats. Every evening, everyone sleeps. So what better way to get scale than for oppression to piggyback on those very basic facts of human life? So oppression piggybacks on those very same things. And when we go through Chiurai's archive, it is actually a remembering of these things. The things that we do as a matter of course. The things that are part of who we are. And it is those very same things that are intertwined and entangled with the persistence of oppression. Thank you. So one of the ways that apartheid functions is by taking situations that ought to be temporary and then it makes them permanent. You can look at any general situation of harm. People can live with harm. People can live in harm's way temporarily. If there was to be a disaster today, if there was to be an earthquake, a flood, I can live in a tent, which is a temporary structure. I can live in a tent for a few days, for a few weeks even, maybe for a few months. But I cannot live in a tent indefinitely. I cannot live in a temporary structure indefinitely. But when that happens, that exactly is the paradigm of apartheid. When things that ought to be temporary become permanent and harm ought to be temporary. I can live with harm for a few seconds, for a few minutes, for a few days. But it can be a permanent condition. It can be the black condition. It can be to live with harm and to live in harm's way. But when people do that, and people actually are doing that, people are living permanently in states That should be temporary. Look at the Palestinian refugee camps in 1948, in 1949, in 1967. This is when these refugee structures were set up. And consider how, to this day, they are still there. 60 years later, 70 years later, up until the UN is starting to think, you know what, we could look at these refugee cities and reconfigure them as permanent cities. Because people have shown a capacity to live with harm for longer and longer and longer. And so why not actually just start to have urban settlements that are structured around this capacity for people to live with harm for longer than they should? Uh, the, the refugee camps in the Congo and so on and so forth. And so harm persists because the temporary becomes permanent for some people. Things that ought not to continue, When they continue and we live with them and we live around them, that is how harm persists and and that is how the temporary becomes permanent. Look at the problem with load shedding in South Africa. Initially, when Lord shedding started, people thought, look, this cannot be permanent. This cannot be happening. And it was trending. It was trending on social media and everyone was talking about it. That was around 2018. But fast forward three years later and people can live with load shedding. People have forgotten, um, not forgotten as such, but people have started to live with load shedding in such a way that all people need, all people ask for from ESCOM is a timetable. Tell us when we're not going to have power so that we can live around it, so that we can charge our laptops, we can charge our phones. And then we know when the load shedding is coming. And so that's how the temporary becomes permanent. That is how we have to reckon with the problem of apartheid. The situations that apartheid creates, like removals, like the dumpers, like uh, limiting education for Africans, limiting work opportunities for Africans, all of these are situations you can actually simulate in a lab because they are just hypotheses. They're just things that you simulate um, in an isolated uh, controlled environment but the moment you start to test these scenarios with actual human beings then it means that apartheid has escaped from the lab it's some kind of lab like theory of social life where people can't live with oppression indefinitely people can't live permanently with harm but when they do it means that this thing you could simulate in a lab has actually become part of social life and the problem is that With apartheid, you live with contradiction, right? You are not supposed to be queuing for the dumpers, You are not supposed to be living in a shack, and yet you do. That's a contradiction. A human being is not supposed to live like an animal. A human being is not supposed to live in inhuman ways. But when you do, it means you are a living contradiction. Contradictions do happen, but the problem is when contradictions do not lead to a crisis, right? Contradictions need to, to, to lead to a crisis. Poverty needs to lead to a crisis. Oppression needs to lead to a crisis. Inequality must lead to a crisis. But when they don't, when people wake up every day and there's no crisis, when there is imisamoyetu and how it's be side by side, when there's Alexandra and sent on side by side, and there's no crisis. In fact, people in Alexandra might look at uh, as a source of employment. People in Imi Zamoieti might look at Hart Bay as a source of employment. So if you remove Hart Bay, it's almost as if you are removing a source of employment. So the harm has become a service. The harm has become a source of employment. So the crisis has gone out of the social relation this is apartheid. This is the problem of apartheid. It's when contradictions do not contradict anymore. It's when there is no crisis in the social relation. The, the social relation has gone, the, the crisis has gone out of the social relation. And so this is what Karl Marx and Angels and Hannah Arendt and Franz Fanon and others expected that that, that there would be a crisis if people lived with harm and with oppression for very long. If Conditions become un- un- unbearable, you get a revolution. But we have a problem where there's no crisis. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west and life goes on. And we put food on the table for our families and we pay fees for our children and we pay rent. And generally, just life just goes on. So this reflection on exactly how the crisis went out of the social relation is, I think, one of the initial conditions we need to reflect on as part of this uh, broad-based understanding of how oppression persists and how harm persists.